what this report uh, really helps is starting the conversation, uh, starting conversations within multiple different regulatory bodies um, in the U.S., and um, maybe untying some hands out there that previously were not able to comment publicly that, yeah, digital identity is the way to go. And, um, you know, we should think about uh, alternative and innovative ways to apply digital identity to CIP. Um, so in that sense, I think it is, it is helpful. Welcome to episode four of Yaka Talks. I'm your host, Alec Liu. The focus of today is a report that came out of the Treasury a couple of weeks ago outlining their de-risking strategy. The term de-risking sounds harmless enough, but in this context, it's not really about constructively managing risk. Instead, it often means financial institutions cutting off, you know, entire customer bases, entire markets um, that, you know, they deem to be too risky. They sort of just don't want to deal with it anymore. Um, Notably, the report promotes digital identity uh, as a solution to these challenges, both from government and private sector-led offerings. And so I have with me Vadim Slavin, head of product at Global ID, to help us unpack the report, which incidentally he helped contribute to a little bit, which we'll get into um, in a second. But yeah, Vadim, tell us uh, tell us about this report. You know, what's it about? Why does it matter? Why is it important? Alec, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, so when this uh, came uh, to my attention uh, a while back, this was something that was actually highly anticipated uh, within the ecosystem. Um, but first, you know, what is FinCEN and why is what they're saying that important? So FinCEN is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. Uh, it's a government organization that is tasked with protecting uh, the U.S. public from money laundering and uh, uh, terrorist financing activities. So what they do is very, very important for our economy for uh, for the safety of our citizens. And uh, what they say is very important because their policies, their uh, findings uh, contribute to regulatory practices um, that are being uh, that are being penned in other regulatory agencies within the US. So for example, um, they maintain what's called a BSA database. It's the database of uh, all suspicious activities. And so when a financial institution is uh, required to submit a suspicious activity report, it goes into that database so that multiple different financial organizations can benefit from um, this one pooled resource of information. So obviously, these guys are at the forefront of protecting the public. And um, they traditionally, they've been saying, OK, guys, you know, be um, be very conservative in your approach and dealing with with people and suspicious uh, organizations out there. And so this term de-risking meant that if a particular industry was considered to be too risky, let's just, you know, cut that industry off. Uh, For example, after the legalization of the cannabis industry in in California, still to this day, a lot of uh, uh, banking organizations, a lot of banks, they don't want to bank these already legalized entities because they're just very, very risky. So that is a problem for the industry and not just this one. There's other industries as well. Um, And uh, this report is supposed to help uh, think through different strategies, uh, strategies that focus on uh, risk-based approaches uh, to dealing with specific uh, customers as opposed to kind of a blanket approach of de-risking whole industries. 
And so I, I guess in the context of some of these risk-based strategies, again, what was notable about this report was that it had this section devoted to digital identity mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the Treasury, you know, specifically not only promoting digital identity solutions, also sort of pushing for further exploration. Do you, do you want to unpack that section for us? Yeah, I actually studied that. Um, I mean, out of all the different pages of all the different strategy recommendations, they devote like two or three paragraphs on uh, exploring the potential for emerging technology technological solutions, including digital identity. So first thing that stood out is that they're calling out digital identity as one of the solutions, right? Including there are many different emerging technological solutions they could have put into that title, but digital identity is one of the first ones. So a couple of things here, there's bullet points that really stood out for me. Uh, so they're saying one of the strategies could be to continue studying the potential of innovative technologies including digital identity solutions, privacy enhancing technologies for privacy preserving information sharing. Oh yeah, and also uh, emerging AI driven anti-money laundering transaction monitoring. So that is that is something that is, um, I guess, um, out there. People are talking about AI and how you can use that hammer for, for every nail that, that's there. Um, but uh, what stood out to me is that, yes, digital identity solution is something that they're focusing on and that they're looking for privacy enhancing, privacy preserving technology, specifically concerned with um, consumers' privacy, um, because there's always in digital identity and verification and anti-money laundering, there's always this balance of uh, privacy preservation versus verification and uh, clearance of the user against sanctions or money laundering or terrorist financing activities. Um, So they are focusing on privacy preservation. Um, Another thing that stood out, they're saying here, actively exploring uh, the use of digital identity solutions to assist customers in asserting their identity. So in how they, 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 they phrase this, assist customers in asserting their identity. This smells a little bit like self-sovereign identity solution, which which has been lately more of a dirty term because self-sovereignty means complete obscurity and you know this utopian notion of of identity. But they they are thinking about hey, at some point customers are going to be um, they're going to be responsible for verifying themselves and proving that they are who they say they are. So that really stood out. Um, another one here. It says potential solutions include authoritative identity attribute validation services modeled on the Social Security Administration's electronic consent-based security number. Ver- oh, you lost me. I know. Um, what, these, um, uh, what these services they're referring to are uh, government, um, government-sponsored services that allow this authoritative verification of somebody's identity. So you... Um, it's, a, it's a set of APIs where you send information and they say, yep, there is a social security for that name, for that date of birth. Now, it's more of validation of social security to combat synthetic identity fraud. It's not a complete verification solution, but it's just one part of that big strategy. Um, the other one that they're calling out here is the uh, state mobile driver's licenses, the MDLs. So this is, uh, this is something that's fairly new out there. There are certain states in the U.S. that are piloting these MDL solutions uh, where a digital version of your physical driver's license would be issued to your identity wallet, such as your iPhone's wallet. Um, so they are 
calling these out as two uh, specific examples of authoritative identity verification services, and they're thinking that there should be more out there. Um, so to me personally, this is a little bit of a yellow flag, maybe not a red flag just yet, but a yellow flag in that they're thinking about adding more um, centralized kind of um, gatekeeping identity verification services uh, instead of looking at kind of an ecosystem play of multiple verification providers. Because as we've seen, the weakest link is in one particular centralized type of identity verification. Um, and it's a lot harder to go around this verification um, if there's more parties involved and you have to continuously verify the same information through multiple different sources. So it's just safer for, for everybody. Um, a, couple in, a couple of other things here um, I also took a note of. Uh, FinCEN is particularly interested in examining how digital identities can help build trust in financial services, mitigate customer identification process breakdowns, and improve financial institutions' ability to combat illicit finance. Um, okay, nothing really groundbreaking here, but this whole notion of build trust in financial services. They, they do believe, um, and, and they agree with kind of what the ecosystem is thinking, um, they do agree that the trust in financial services comes with identity and comes with customers' ability to, um, to prove that they are who they say they are. And um, that the same is applied to other consumers, the other customers of financial services. Um, and when there's a lot more transparency in how these um, access points are maintained, I'm talking about identity verification, there's more trust in those services. So they're, they're sort, of, sort of acknowledging that. Um, the other one here is uh, digital identity solutions to address, so one of the strategies is, digital identity solutions to address de-risking by increasing the efficiency and safety of customer identification data storage and processes that banks and MSBs currently use, MSBs being money's, uh, money uh, service businesses. Um, so two things here. So increasing efficiency and safety. We've been saying that forever, right? Digital identity is there to increase the efficiency um, of all of these processes. And then they're talking about data storage. So this probably refers to privacy preservation and novel ways to store data so that it's not sitting out there as honeypot because no matter how much you will protect that data, there's still, there's still risk of that information getting out there. Um, so this is what I think they're referring to there. Um, and uh, here's an interesting one, and then this kind of warms my heart. They're saying at the same time, digital identities raise corresponding issues related to financial inclusion. Um, so simplifying identity verification, um, removing some of the obstacles to more consumers' access to financial services, that really speaks to better inclusion in our financial system, which is something that we at Global ID have taken to heart from the very beginning. And some of the processes that we enable through application of digital identity for uh, CIP has been to uh, to increase the number of different um, customers for financial uh, financial services that simply did not have access to it before. So this is what um, stood out. All in all, nothing here is ground, groundbreaking, but what this report uh, really helps is starting the conversation, uh, starting conversations within multiple different regulatory bodies um, in the U.S. 
and um, maybe untying some hands out there that previously were not able to comment publicly that, yeah, digital identity is the way to go. And, um, you know, we should think about uh, alternative and innovative ways to apply digital identity to CIP. Um, so in that sense, I think it is it is helpful. But nothing here is truly groundbreaking from what we've been tracking for a while. Got it. I, I mean, first, thank you for that really comprehensive overview. And, you know, for, for someone like me, when I hear something like privacy preserving solution and, you know, individuals asserting their own identity, I start thinking verifiable credentials and, you know, sort of uh, newer frameworks for, for identity. But again, to your point, they've got to cover a lot of bases and, you know, sort of the, the path forward still remains unclear. Um, but, you know, overall, would you say that this is sort of a positive development um, for, for the space and, you know, in terms of what yes. it means for the future? Yes, for sure, for sure. Um, it, um, um, it enables conversations, it enables uh, maybe funding for exploration. Um, I know that uh, NIST has been working on kind of standardizing approaches to um, identity assurance. Um, their, one of their reports um, identified several different identity assurance levels that is based on a lot of a lot of different factors, but provides an objective framework for measuring the effectiveness of a particular identity verification solution. Um, so uh, FinCEN has been interested in, in that work for a while. Um, in fact, FinCEN um, also sponsored a few tech sprints that yours truly participated in, um, where they were exploring different verification solutions. Um, and actually they did that a few tech sprints before the one that I participated in. The one that I was part of explored ways to verify, uh, to, to score effectiveness of those solutions. Um, so for example, they pointed out, you know, that uh, social security number verification solution. Um, well, if there's, if somebody was to build a comprehensive CIP process uh, based on that, how effective uh, would it be? And how would you measure effectiveness? Does it mean, is it about um, how many, uh, how many synthetic identities you let through or, or stop? Nobody's really been thinking about it, right? There are all these solutions out there that are offered uh, commercially. They're kind of uh, one-off. Here's what we do. It's binary. Uh, we verify photo ID. We may cross-reference this with another um, data access provider. And uh, at the end is a likelihood metric. But is it better than the other? What qualifies one to be more effective than the other? So they were, um, they were exploring those. And uh, the team that I was part of um, suggested a framework uh, which relied on multiple different uh, cross-referenced cross data points about the same user to, to help identify synthetic identities early on um, and um, also uh, simplify user experience for, for better inclusion for less technically savvy customers, for example. So we provided a framework, which is just one of several uh, that other teams provided. Um, and uh, it started a conversation. We didn't expect that that, that work to, to result in a policy change, but it started a conversation. Um, it was interesting to see different um, competitors and co-competitors come together and be part of the same team to, to kind of open up the cards a little bit and, and discuss about the future of digital identity verification. 
That's great. And I mean, it's just great to see that these government agencies are taking, you know, um, these learnings and explorations seriously that, um, you know, they take digital identity seriously. And, you know, we, we all sort of understand it to be part of the solution. But, you know, making that happen now, I guess, is going to be, you know, the challenge for the coming years and uh, really just helping to reestablish trust, right, in this increasingly digital society. Uh, Vadim, yes. thank you for your time. Um, any uh, Any final thoughts? Um, yeah, if you're uh, curious to learn more about digital identity, I just released a book, uh, Digital Identity and Privacy. This is, uh, is a book for really beginners uh, to, to help appreciate what digital identity is, what the future holds, and why it matters to us, the consumers. Uh, there's some tips in there that I've gathered through times talking to uh, to. Uh, to known criminals, for example, how they were able to evade uh, the identity verification uh, services and uh, you know, kind of their advice on what you can do to protect yourself. Um, so if you're interested to learn more about digital identity as a whole, uh, check out this book on Amazon. Yeah, we'll have a link in the description below. Vadim, thanks again. And uh, thank you all. We'll see you all in the next one. Thanks, Alec.